0: Sunday, October 11th, and you are listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. p is a spontaneous podcast between
1: two old friends on baseball and motion pictures. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, another Hall of Fame pitcher passes away. We'll talk about the career of Whitey Ford. The divisional round has come and gone this week, and each league is distilled down to two teams for their league championship. We'll talk about some great catches in postseason games. Alex Blackburn details her physical and emotional abuse at the hands of pitcher Sam Dyson. The Phillies and the Reds experienced changes in their front office and will react to an interview of Mike Schmidt in The New Yorker. Our popcorn segment, will be talking about the Gurinder Chandra film, Bend It Like Beckham. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Wedding anniversary was this week, 15 years. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you, thank you. We had uh, dinner in the West Loop. We were going to go to O Cheval, um, but they were just too crowded. We couldn't get in, so we just started walking around, and uh, we went into the uh, went into the Girl and the Goat, Stephanie Izard's restaurant over right. there in Randolph. And uh, Julie loved it. I, I really liked it a lot too. I mean, it's it's small plates, yep. very you know, and and also the it's the idea that food is art. You right. know, you're not eating food with the intention of being satisfied. You're eating food that kind of expresses the inspiration of the chef who came up with it. And, and, and it was good for the most part. I was happy.
0: Yeah, uh, Gwen and I have eaten there uh, as well. Um, and uh, it, there's a whole bunch of restaurants down in that area that basically do the same thing. But uh, Izzard was one of certainly one of the first to do it. Uh, yeah. We just found the place to be slightly pricey.
1: Yeah, it was it was pricey. I mean, for we, you walk out of there because you're only eating very small plates that you share. And, you know, each one is, you know, by the time you're done, you get about six or seven of these. I mean, we had a $150 tab, which, you know, for two people, that's, you know, we were, that, that stung a little bit. That was yeah. the only <clears throat> thing that, that was a little bit of a kick in the air, but we still had a nice time. So who cares?
0: Wait, I, but I have to just say, you know, I, I've learned to love, Uh, tapas and small plates, but when I first was introduced to them in the 90s, I come from a large family, you know, I'm one of eight kids, and people that took food off of other people's, you know, plates, you know, you would see fork marks in their hands from other kids hitting them, and so Gwen will tell you that it took her a long while to indoctrinate me into sharing, uh, because that was not something I was used to.
1: (laughs) Well, you come from that big Irish family. So that's right. You. So I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, there was this plot in Michigan Jeez. that was spoiled by the FBI to kidnap the governor, Gretchen Whitmer. Now yeah. you're from Michigan, right? I know. and my first question to you is: Do you know any of these guys? No, I, I don't really
0: know. I don't know anybody that's in the Michigan militia. Let's. This is this is all born out of the Michigan, Michigan militia, yeah. and. This has been kind of brewing in that state for many, many years, decades, actually. And it kind—it of, actually goes back to the segregated South. There's a direct connection to that yes, in the so. 50s and the 60s because a lot of uh, men came up from the South bringing their wives to work in the auto industry. And a lot of those guys harbored mm-hmm. Confederate racist views. Uh, and they love guns. That, that's a common denominator. They love guns. And so over time, it's kind of brewed and... And, and created this 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 belief system it's it's disgusting absolutely in my mind and I also believe that these guys are lucky that they pulled this off in twenty twenty because if you would have done this in any other time, this is a this is an you should be executed. I mean, this is an executable offense. I don't think that's what's going to happen here. But I think that that type of penalty justifies what you guys were doing. Because when you went so far as to scope out the governor's, you know, private uh, summer home on multiple occasions, you guys meant business. Don't get up there and say, hey, we were just talking and boasting and drinking beer bullshit. You guys meant business and you need to be dealt with in the most serious way.
1: Wow. I love it. All right. So um, also uh, one other thing we should mention before we get started with the baseball is that uh, guitar legend Eddie Van Halen passed away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is, I never I, I was a huge Van Halen fan, but there were a few songs I really liked. And when, when Van Halen was at its best, you know, Eddie Van Halen himself was cooking on his electric guitar. He really is. Well, uh, I, I You know, I
0: did like Van Halen probably more than you. I didn't like it when it turned into Van Hagar, when Sammy Hagar became the the singer of the band. But in 1978, I was very fortunate to go to Old Kobo Arena in Detroit to see Black Sabbath play. And the opening act was this band from California called Van Halen. I remember it like it was yesterday thinking oh man I don't want to sit through this opening act let's just bring on Black Sabbath by the end of the night we were like who was that they blew Black Sabbath Black Sabbath off the stage flat fat, flat out we were like who was that we couldn't get to the record store fast enough
1: (laughs) that's a great story that really is so you saw them yeah (laughs) <laughs> when they were no one when they were very young kids actually believe it or not oh yeah i'm sure he's only a couple
0: years older than me
1: well they had a they had a wonderful run as a rock band yeah
0: and no Eddie Van Halen. but but so speaking of people passing away and again can 2020 get any worse this is this is i don't know if this is the worst year in u.s history but it's definitely in the top five i would think um and so baseball legend right after we lose bob gibson but yeah. baseball legend whitey ford the chairman of the board passed away of, of alzheimer's i forget what age he was but i think 91 maybe
1: 91 yeah long life he's really the last of uh of that team you know to uh to uh to, to have passed away and uh you know he follows the death of bob gibson who followed the death of tom Seaver. we also lost al kaline this year i mean yeah. it's the tough year for hall of famers. And, and I guess, you know, you know, he's part of Ford is part of those great Yankee teams of the fifties. I think he played in 11 world series. He won six of them. Um, He won a Cy Young award. He's led the league in wins innings pitched earned run average. My question to you is would he have been as good a pitcher for anyone else?
0: No, no. Yeah. No, but I, but, and again, you know, his win above replacement is 54. I, this, I don't want to trash Whitey Ford at all because I think he, he's an incredibly accomplished um, uh, pitcher, particularly in the world series where he holds almost every record, most wins, most losses, most uh, most strike or most shutout innings he had for many, many years yeah. until it was broken. I think maybe by Koufax or somebody like that, but he had the record um, uh, for many years. So, there's a lot of good with Whitey, and Whitey was very determined. Roger Angel said he looked like a Wall Street banker standing up there. You know, he, he really was very tight. He was job, very tight-lipped. Man. He he yeah. he went about his business, um, and and I have always believed that he benefited from having the support of those great Yankee teams. And if he played on Cleveland or Boston or Detroit he wouldn't have made the world series every year so no he wouldn't and he wouldn't have probably he probably wouldn't have gone to the hall of fame but but you know. i got to give him credit a 91 year old man that stayed up every single minute of every single night with mickey mantle he was yeah. with mickey mantle till the last light was turned off every single yeah. night and that's late yeah you know, that's that. really late so ford had an enormous constitution obviously and um you know he was he just was a he was a man about town and they called him the chairman of the board when it, I think Elston Howard is the one that tagged him with that name. But, uh, uh, you know, Ford and, and also Ford did an incredible job over the years of being uh, Papa Bear in the Yankee clubhouse in regards to spring training. You know, he, he did what Ka- Koufax does for the Dodgers. And yeah. speaking of Koufax, Koufax basically kicked his ass. That's, you know, if you go back and look at that one world series – wow all you could say is wow but then again Koufax was in his heyday and right. Ford was on the downside so what they weren't at faced in their heydays
1: there's so, two look. you consider the career of Whitey Ford there's two tremendous advantages that he has over other pitchers and the first one is that he's playing you know with the with the great Yankee team behind him of Mantle and Maris and Barra and on and on and on yeah But the other thing is that he's a left-handed starter playing at Yankee Stadium. And, um, you know, that's, it's really key for great Yankee teams to have great left-handed pitching to neutralize the opposing team's left-handed hitters, you know, to take it. Because the idea at Yankee Stadium, you want left-handed hitters to take advantage of the short porch and right and yank the ball out. And that's what got Babe Ruth paid all those years and Mickey Mantle and what made them great players is they could do that. But uh, in turn, they also must have those left-handed pitchers to do that. So if he's pitching in some other ballpark, he probably isn't as accomplished a pitcher. And he's probably not getting nearly as many wins, but you know, he probably would have gone, he, he might've been one of those guys who the veterans committee considers years and years and years down the road. You know what I mean? He wouldn't have been in so automatically. So,
0: so the Atlantic makes a point that there's a particular stat that, that Ford has that nobody else has no other uh, other hall of fame pitcher and that is when the Yankees scored 6 or more runs in a game yeah. they were 112 and 0
1: yeah right. never he never lost was 112 and 0 he yeah. was 112 and 0 when the Yankees scored not even Roger Clemens could say yeah. that
0: that's right that's right
1: or Pedro Martinez no no pitcher the, uh yeah.
0: Posnansky s- said that they went back and looked at and and nothing is as sterling as that record and again it, it's because he benefited from having that great Yankee team, but he was, this guy basically controlled the action when he was the pitcher of the game. So, you know, he was, he as dominating as Bob Gibson? No, he was not. Was he as great as Bob Gibson? Not even close, but he, he anchored uh, and from 1951 or whatever it is that he first came up until he retired in the late sixties, he was the mainstay of, of one of, of maybe the greatest dynasty in baseball history. That's really? right. He was
1: really the only starting pitcher who lasted with them all throughout that period of greatness. Right, right. He was the one guy. They're always changing second and third starters. You got Vic Rashi and all these other guys. And you know, but mm-hmm. but but he's sort of the mainstay. And he'll be missed. And it's a tough day for it's a tough week for Yankee fans. Now, let's get to the playoffs. And the divisional oh, really? round was this week. And uh, there were four series. The Dodgers in the National League swept the Padres. And uh, the other National League series, the Braves sweep the Marlins. In the American League, the Astros beat the A's in four games. I feel like spitting when I hear that, when I say that.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. The Astros. And
1: the Rays need all five to beat the Yankees in the most dramatic series of the four. So um, I'll begin. Let's just quickly touch on the National League. Um, this looks like a really exciting showdown with the Dodgers and the Braves. You know, um, neither team has lost a game this postseason. I think right. the Braves have only allowed a run in three of the 43 innings that they're start that they've pitched. Right. I mean, the,
0: their, it, their, te- their team ERA is better than when they had Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's hard to get your but but I have to say, fortunately for me because I do work from home, I. I've been so lucky. I've, I've had the games out in the background and I've basically seen every game except for the Dodger games. By uh-huh. the time it gets to the Dodger games, I'm too tired to watch yeah. yeah. any more baseball. It's time to move along. Yeah. Uh, so my, you know, I feel I'm sorry. I apologize to the Dodgers and the Padres. Hopefully I'll see more of your games now that the uh, NLDS or the NLCS is starting. But the Braves are the real story in the National League. They are, everyone knew that they were compiling this talent, uh, but their, their weakness is now their strong point. Their weakness was they didn't really have, they don't, they don't have, uh, you know, a, a Hugh Darvish or a, or a Hendricks to anchor the front end of that rotation. They have. They've done it a lot with like, you know, hope and dreams and spit and everything else that makes baseball great. How are they to this point? Yeah. It's unbelievable, but it is their pitching. And the fact is, if they keep pitching like that, they're going to knock the Dodgers out. Yeah. But if they don't, which I figure they probably won't, the Dodgers could sweep them out. I, I, well, that,
1: that, that's really going to be the series because you, you have two teams who are just so hot. You know, facing off against one another, who's going to come out on top is anybody's guess. So that's one I'll be watching a lot more closely. Now, um, the the Astros' BTA is in four. Yeah, no, I know, too bad. I'm really kind of pissed off about it. Mean, a lot of people are, man. You know,
0: cheaters I, I mean, are prospering. Cheaters are prospering.
1: They are prospering, and it's really a five guys. It's Altuve and Berg, Bregman and all these. You know, it's those five guys. Korea. Right. Correct and uh, Guriel, and and so, you know, cause it's the, the team, a lot of the guys who played on the 2017 team that cheated, you know, they're gone, they're, right. they're on other teams and that's the way it goes. But uh, but these five guys are still there and these yeah. five guys I think are certainly worth disliking. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you, I was pissed off, Tom, that the Yankees lost to the Rays because I really found myself wanting to see the Yankees get another chance at the Astros.
0: Not me. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you saw the fifth game of the series, Beth, best game of the best game of the year for me. Yeah. Um, I was I had fortunate to watch it with my brother online on zoom. We watched basically the whole game, uh, had a few adult beverages and uh, basically watched Chapman. And, yeah. and while we were extolling how great he was, he gave up that home run to Brousseau. And um, it's just, that was amazing. It, it, it was, but, don't rule out this Rays team. This Rays oh, team really could good, yeah. win the World Series. I'm just telling you. They have it all. But mostly what they have is after sixth inning pitching. That's yeah. what I'm learning. The lesson to be learned is if you want to go far in the playoffs, after the sixth inning, your pitchers have to have to throw donuts up there. And if they don't, you're not going to stay around that's what. No, that's what no, I want. You
1: learning. have to strike. You basically have to strike out everybody and throw the ball one hundred and twenty miles an hour. Right, okay. but, right. But I which think the Rays are doing right now. So, I think that if you want to see the Astros lose. I there's no that, doubt. But, yeah, that the the Rays are certainly our best chance to see that. What's happening to the
0: Astros
1: in 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 a
0: legacy way is exactly what we said. And yeah. I'll bet you, I'll bet you, in in 1920, a couple of years after the Black Sox scandal, the same thing happened to those players too. Which is to say, you're pariahs, yeah. you know. And 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 there was an article dedicated uh, that that we shared this week that basically said, "Oh no, the Astros won." You yeah. know, like people are people are are disgusted with these guys, and they're playing well. You know, it's just. It's almost too much to take. They should have they should have been not allowed to be in the playoffs.
1: That should have been their penalty this year I'm telling you you, can't, you can't, it's what we have to live with though I mean it, mm-hmm. it sucks that we have to live with I get them. it but I mean they're probably Astros fans who are pissed off that they won. I mean we're talking about a team that that has no one really rooting for them correct, correct. for themselves. Correct. You know, they're so lucky that there's no fans in the stands. Know, they really are benefited not. from
0: that more than any other team. However, it's only been deferred. The ire that you will receive has been deferred. The sad part is as the years go on, the team breaks up. It's not the same team you're pulling at. So right. next year, hopefully fans have a legitimate chance to throw the tomatoes because I really think that it's deserved. And I will feel better once I see them be humiliated. Yeah, yeah. Even if what? it's in the grocery store.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> it, 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 if you like, you imagine getting on an elevator with uh, Jose Altuve? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I would be respectful.
0: By the way, Altuve had a pretty bad year. Yeah, he did. He had a really bad year. Yeah, really, you know, really don't, a lot of guys had
1: bad years. But you know.
0: Baez suffered from that too, not having that TV in the clubhouse. And I'm starting to come around on that—that that maybe hitters do need to have that. But that's neither here nor there. I am rooting so much for the for the Rays to crush the Astros,
1: and I think that they will. By the way, the Astros are yeah. a 500 team. Are they really? Well, you I know, actually, they might've been under 500. I think they may have been under 500. I think they just they just got into the playoffs by the skin of their teeth. I mean, a team like this could use that, you know, us against the world as a kind yeah. of a motivation. Right. right. But uh, you know, I, I think that they're just not, um, I, they're not a team that I can certainly like in any way, you know, you know, state. who I give credit to is
0: dusty Baker. Dusty Baker's done a pretty good job under difficult circumstances, but that's, that's as much as I can talk about the Astros this week. Otherwise I'm going to start to throw up in my mouth.
1: Well, um, there, there's just been a lot of crazy things that have happened in these playoffs, you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I don't know if it, I mean, is it due to the coronavirus? I think it has a lot to do with it. You know, playing in these uh, playing in stadiums with no fans, everybody's striking out all the time. But even with all that stuff, baseball's still pretty engaging. You know, well, there's no
0: doubt. And there's been great moments. And like I said, I've been fortunate this year. That's one positive of COVID, is I've been able to see games I would never not normally be able to see. And it's been a joy. And it was capped off by that that Rays Yankees series, which was tremendous. But I was able to see the Braves pretty much like blow my mind with how how Cause they're dangerous. They've got such a, they've got a team like the White Sox does offensively. If they yeah. ever were to get pitching, they could be very, da- you know, deadly.
1: You know, we've been reading this uh, article by Jason Stark that kind of details some of the more interesting things that he's seen in the playoffs. And one thing I do want to touch on is that um, uh, the Jace Tingler, he's the manager of the San Diego Padres. Yes. He's been using like every one of his pitchers every. He used eleven pitchers in right. a nine inning game. Right, that's
0: crazy. This that's too crazy. will not stand, and yeah. it didn't. Uh, the, the 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 cautionary tale for. By the way, this is a page right out of the 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 uh, Rays uh, playbook. The Rays do that stuff too. They, they they're they the know. ones I think aren't they the team that started the opener thing? Well, they,
1: yeah, they're the ones who started the opener because they didn't have a fifth starter. You know, right, the, right. Like a reliable fifth right. starter, so they would begin with some sort of bullpen arm and then they would I guess the theory is that you 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 bring in one guy to sort of like like a later inning guy to get three outs and then you bring in a long reliever guy who maybe could go the next four or five you know, and by then then you're in your bullpen. So so far,
0: history has proven that this does not work. You you do this as man. I would say to any manager that, that employs this strategy, you do it out of necessity. You don't yeah. want to do it. You wish you had four great starters, and you wouldn't be doing it if you had three or four great starters. It's out of necessity, but it really kind of tells you. Uh, And by the way, the Rays don't do it so much anymore. They don't put 11 pitchers out. But but they'll put five pitchers in a game, though. I saw it consistently through this playoffs. So, um, you know, uh, the Dodgers are going to be – they haven't lost. The Dodgers haven't lost since September 22nd. How many games in a row is that? It's like 15 or something like that. I mean, when push comes to shove, they have it all, man. And, oh, by the way, they have Mookie Betts.
1: Yeah, they do. They do. All right. So I want to talk about uh, an article I saw on USA Today that detailed uh, some of the greatest catches in the yeah. World Series. And this was on the heels of a catch that a player made. And I guess it was in, in uh, the the, the race guy uh, from the Rays made against the uh, Yankees. Oh, no, no. It was a Yankee player, I think, who caught one. Garrett Cole gave up the home or gave up the long ball and it was caught at the wall. But they were um, they Oh, or Cody Bellinger also got robbed, I think, in the, in the Dodgers series. But we want to compare that catch to some of the greatest catches ever right. in postseason history. And you went through the list, right? I mean, we have the, Mays, the Willie Mays catch in 1954, Andy Chavez in the NLCS, Dwight Evans in the World Series in 1975, Andrew Benatendi, Tommy Agee, Jim Edmonds, Lorenzo Kane. Is there one of those that really stands out for you as the best
0: for yeah so uh, i you know i hate to show my age but i've seen every one of these catches except the maze catch yeah. um and most all of them live some of the more recent ones i'm not so sure i saw the ben and denny one uh ben and tendy one in 2018 but i think it was like the next day i saw it. you know what i'm saying yeah, but right. one does stick out <laughs> i was a 10 year old boy in detroit watching the year after my Tigers had won the world series in 1969, there was this team called the amazing Mets. Yeah. They came out of nowhere. Tom Seaver was a pitcher on that team, but there was a play that I remember. I saw it live and I remember it. It was bone chilling. Tommy AG made this great catch. And that's the one that uh, uh, he actually made a couple of great catches in the series, but there was one particular one, uh in right field in game four
1: ron swoboda's catch yes, where he gets yes. the ball he dives and, yes. and he just gets his glove under the ball it's amazing how he catches that one then makes a strong throw you know to get a run that was a tremendous catch. back
0: in those days you had to see it live because there was no replay there was no right. you know they, they they couldn't even get the film produced to, to make the 11 o'clock news back in those days and that's the truth it, it would you know be like uh artist drawings of the
1: game (laughs) for me for me i i like because i saw this this catch live too it's the 75 world series catch by dwight evans oh yeah oh
0: yeah
1: you know where he just makes this unbelievable catch of a morgan smash in right field he's just going back and it looks like he has no chance the the ball you know when the when when morgan swung i mean everybody thought it was going to be just 10 rows in the stands and he just leaps up at the last minute in a kind of a prayer and just makes this unbelievable catch. He just turns and jumps up, and it's but, a miracle. But, but the but the background of what that catch—they were
0: facing elimination in the eleventh yeah. inning of that game. That yeah. there was so much pressure.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it, to, to make that catch at that moment is yeah. just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. may, the, the, the Giants really crushed the Indians in that World Series. You know, that great catch by Mays was great yes. it happened in the world series Correct. but it wasn't like the, the Evans catch no the pressure wasn't on it was more of a wake-up call that that, yeah. that <laughs> yeah but I would also say you know that Lorenzo Kane made a great catch oh, yeah. too
0: yeah
1: uh, David Freeze. I mean it, it's fun good defense is always a, a wonderful thing and when an outfielder just goes above and beyond that, well, that, that,
0: that Jim, be, Ed, Jim Edmonds catch was great too because that was a game seven catch um, so there's been, there's been great, this is the time of year when, you know, yeah. the great step up and, and that was so much true about what they used to say about Whitey Ford was that, you know, when the, when the big game was up, he was ready, he made the call and answered the call every time, not all players, some guys melt during that time, but, but the great ones step up. And I would anticipate in these next, uh, the, the championship series, the league championship series, we'll see that kind of games because the games are going to get tighter and closer yeah.
1: There. So uh, let's turn to kind of a darker episode. And uh, that is the case. Uh, this is an article I shared with you that I read in The Athletic about uh, Alexis Blackburn. Yeah. And she's a young woman and she was married to not married, but living with uh, Sam Dyson, a major league pitcher. Yeah. Uh, and he was verbally and physically and emotionally abusive with her. And she yeah. basically detailed what she went through when she was living with him. And we're talking about an incident where, or an episode where he kicks her out yeah. of, of his house and would not allow her to return to get her clothes and her jewelry and these right. things. Now, right. And that, that's really just scratching the surface. I mean, that's a right. crappy enough thing to do to somebody anyway. You put them out on the street and they can't get any of the things that belong to them before they met you and that's ridiculous, yeah. and, uh, and, and there were episodes of physical abuse where he grabbed her, and there were all these bruises on her arms, and, and you know, this guy's in a lot of trouble. These are, this is some really, really serious stuff. I, I don't know what action Major League Baseball has really taken on this. I don't know if he's already served punishment, and we're just sort of finding out about this after the fact, but this is a cautionary tale. You know, for well, it's, it's, it's beyond that.
0: The, the, it, it, here's the sad part of this story. This is mild as far as abuse cases go, even though I have to say anytime that anyone, I don't care if you're male or female, that so, somebody else is harming someone else. But for him to, to, to harm their cat, that's where, that, that made me mental. I'm like, you know what, Dyson, you are a disgusting person. You're going to kick a cat and you're, and you're gonna hit your
1: girlfriend,
0: you know, you what, kind cat, of a, what
1: kind of an Addison <laughs> Russell guy are you? They had to take the cat to the vet and the, the cat had emergency surgery because right, 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 the cat right. was in one of those carry all things and he kicked it as hard as he could. You you know me, I've said this
0: a million times. I can see humans get injured, but you, you, you harm an animal. God forbid you do it in front of me. Cause you're yeah. going to see, you're going to see a medieval type of activity
1: going oh, on. You're very, you that's, that's always been the way you You're very sort of uh, you love animals very much. You're very yeah. sensitive to them. Well, they're
0: helpless. If you're going to kick something that can't yeah. fight you back on the To me, that's, it's the, it's just disgusting. But the point of the matter is, is that this story underscores a problem in all of sports. This goes back to, this goes back to Jake LaMotta. It goes back to um, all, it's interesting. In in high school, a pitcher, an ex-pitcher came and talked to our class and um, turned out he was a teacher in our school and he talked about how he abused his wife when he was a young player. And, wow. I, and I think a lot of this goes on that people don't know about How That's why I thought this is particularly mild. Yeah. You have some bruises on your arms. I've seen girls with collapsed uh, eye sockets from punches from professional athletes. So it's just disgusting. I, I like the fact that baseball is stepping up and saying there's going to be repercussions, you know, started with Chapman yeah. and, and, and yeah. Addison Russell and, and, and others. And, and this is just this is bad, but this is a particularly mild case in the big picture. That's how that's how prevalent this problem is.
1: That's the first time anybody's mentioned Addison Russell to me since he since I learned that he was going to go play in Japan or Taiwan. I, I yeah. you know right. I wonder how he did. Yeah, I don't know. I don't so know. Um, now there's been some front office movement, and uh, with two yeah. teams, um, we'll begin with uh, the Phillies general manager Matt, Klenses, Klen- Klen- Klentax, Klentax. Klentax. Yeah. He's he was demoted, he was their GM and he was basically kicked downstairs given another role within the organization. He wasn't fired, but he's definitely going to be replaced. And I was curious what you thought of his moves. Andrew, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, um, when you look at the, the, the facts, he's gonna be remembered as the guy that gave away, that that signed bad deals, bad contracts. Yeah. And that was never so evident um, with the Jake Ariata signing. You know, Jake Arrieta was most known. The Cubs knew that he his best days were behind him, and for the Phillies to give him that much amount of money, I just thought it was irresponsible. Now, some people will criticize him for um, the Harper deal, but I think Harper's still 28 years old. That's that that may turn out not to be not
1: such a bad deal, but. Everything else that he's touched has turned to shit. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. It, 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 he. Yeah, I mean, what I point to is the uh, JT Real Muto trade. Right. Marlins, Where he gave Sixto Sanchez, you know, to the Marlins. Right, right. That's a good point. And he was pitching them into the playoffs. You know, the Arietta thing, I mean, I think Arietta was at least – You know, he was never as good as he was those two years with the Cubs, but he was, he was okay with the Phillies. He he Um, only produced
0: that contract for one year and the Phillies were not competitive that year. And every year since then, he's not really been a factor in, in their ultimate demise and not making the playoffs, which by the way, this year, they should have, all they had to do was win the last game
1: and they made the playoffs and they couldn't even do that. Couldn't do that. Yeah. You know, and then and then there's the other. The, I see. I, I think the Harper deal. You say it might still turn out well. He's 28. He's 28. He may have a couple of good years, but the contract's for another nine years.
0: I know. I know. I, I'm,
1: so I'm, I'm trying to be nice. I know he's 28, but what is it going to look like when he's 30, 36, 37? I mean, come on. So there will be bad years in that contract, and they're going to be paying him a lot of money, you know, to do that. There, there's no doubt but you know ultimately he's not going to be finally remembered because
0: they didn't get it done and philadelphia is extremely hard on their baseball team
1: <laughs> they are they are and they're they're really as snake bit an organization as you'll ever find i mean cubs fans used to complain about how bad things were for phillies was i would i would argue that even though the phillies had won world series before i'd say they, it, it, it's harder to be a phillies fan it really is it is so, now uh dick dick oh go ahead yeah i was just gonna say i
0: was gonna say what you were gonna say dick
1: williams Williams, uh the president of baseball operations for the cincinnati reds he resigned he was not fired uh he resigned the castellini family uh you know uh, is now looking for someone else to head that part of the operation uh and and williams cites that he wants to spend time with his family okay and that he also has a family business that he feels needs to be attended to it just kind of makes me think why were they hired? Why, how did this guy get hired in the first place? Well, because he had so many. If he had this big family business, don't you think that his attention would be divided? Just,
0: he's a third generation red, reds, um, executive though. His yeah. grandfather, or something was had something to do with the reds, but um, yeah. you know, uh, First of all, not he's not related to the other Dick Williams. Whenever I read, whenever I see that name, I'm like, oh, you mean the A's man? No, not that Dick Williams. This is, uh, this is am I'm I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm calling bullshit on this story. Really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. No one ever does that. You're you're not leaving to spend time with your family. The fact is, the Reds were a, a big disappointment at the end of this season, and I think they need a new direction because they have far too much talent, or they did prior to Bauer probably walking, but they had far too much talent to have the result that they had there. And I, I I just, when anyone says I'm spending more time with my family means one of two things, either your wife's going to leave you (laughs) or you're being fired and they're just trying to dress it up a little bit. They're trying
1: to dress it up. That's all,
0: that's all I'm saying. I might be wrong. I have no facts. It just, it just doesn't seem right. Whenever I read a story like that, I'm like, what's the real story? Don't lie to me.
1: Well, when you consider modern trends in the game, you know, analytics and, and sort of ways of, you know, and launch angle and all these things, the Reds have sort of been singularly defiant as an organization. Yes. Uh, of sort to, of, a, to a fault. To a fault, yeah. They just have, they've refused... To sort of play the modern game. They they want to win in an old school way, you know, getting on base and hitting behind, right? Doing all the things that traditionally baseball teams did to succeed. And and I don't know if if that's probably a good idea. I think they probably right. need a fresher outlook. And even now, they're way 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 behind the curve, you know, as far as uh, how much more advanced other teams are. How much more? I, I agree. They are. You know, I, I agree. And
0: they're disrespectful to their fans. They're longtime loyal Reds fans who have been there through thick and thin. I just think they, they've they taken them for granted over the years with some of their moves and non-moves that they've made. Yeah.
1: All right. So that brings us to uh, an interview with Speaking Mike. about a boy from Cincinnati. Yeah, a boy from Cincinnati who grew up idolizing Pete Rose, who goes to play for the Phillies struggles at the outset struggles with playing in philadelphia getting the booze and puts it together this is a this is a guy who won uh, i think a couple of mvp awards he won a world series in 1980 with the wheeze kids one of the great nicknames ever for a baseball team but i gotta tell you tom i really can't stand mike schmidt and i didn't like this article one bit (laughs) because it was just a love letter from this philadelphia fan who writes for the new yorker and it was just i mean here i am talking to my hero and yeah you can be nostalgic okay but this is a really really long piece you know yeah, was, the new yorker lets you write for a long time this i know is, they
0: make the they make the uh, athletic uh, you yeah. know look i mean like the, the athletic long
1: pieces. new yorker goes you know and and it was all these sort of paintings of mike schmidt yeah. and and and, and It seemed like a nice idea, but for me, I wanna know more than just the glory. I I really do. Okay, so
0: that's not why, you know, um, the fact is is that I I copied that article because I couldn't read it. And if you go back to the New Yorker, they only give you so many articles. So I copied it into a Word file, deleted the pictures, and there's only like 40 words in the article. It is mostly the pictures. It is mostly Uh, the pictures. it's, it's, It's not that long, believe it or not. You'd be shocked, it's only a couple of pages. But well, here's the reason why. <laughs> this, this is the reason why I put it in, is because we've all agreed, or I, I think we agree, that Ichiro is is a guy that um, we're a little worried about because he yeah. is so in love with baseball, yeah. and and Schmidt may be the second guy like that. Like Schmidt, the reason why I put that in is because. I never liked him to like, he always was a smarmy guy, even though he's arguably the greatest third baseman from a statistical standpoint, greatest hit, greatest hitter for sure. But he loved the game of baseball so much that he could have played another three or four seasons, but the pressure on him that he put on himself was so immense that he almost had a breakdown over it. And in fact, people make fun of the fact that he was crying at when he was retiring, he was crying because he was relieved that he was retiring because yeah. he lived and breathed baseball for so many years that he couldn't take it anymore. I, I that's the that's the part that that I'm fascinated was you you were one of the baseball's greatest. You are mentioned in in the list of the top. Tw- First of all, you're the best at your position. Maybe yeah. maybe.
1: You're um, the only person who comes close is Brooks Robinson. And correct. Brooks Robinson could never hit like. He Schmidt. could not hold Schmidt's wrap. And by the way, Mike Schmidt won
0: some gold gloves. He was a very yeah. good defender. Right. He was. Yeah. He was a I player. understand you dislike him. And I understand that the, uh, the, the piece was a puff piece, but it just, the reason why I did it was because it made me think, you know, the only other guy that's like you is Ichiro. Yeah. Ichiro reminds me of, of having that devotion where, Schmidt said he used to dream about baseball and he never had a glove. He couldn't find his glove. The ball was going between his legs. He was
1: swinging and missing. Yeah, you know? A lot of a lot of players have that same dream right. you know, in a modified form where they're not, you know, and they're, everybody's laughing at him, And it's the fear of failure that really drives. That's them. why I
0: put it, put that into the show because it made me
1: think, you know, there are guys out there that may like baseball more than me and you. Well, yeah. I think you compare them to Ichiro. And what's interesting about Ichiro is Ichiro finds a way to kind of, Take that fear of failure and channel it and get something positive out of it. So far. He he yes. Yeah, so, so far. <laughs> so far, but but now that Ichiro is retired, he's he's trying to figure out what what the hell is he gonna do with the rest of his life.
0: Well, not just that. I'll say it again, right now. I don't know what the time is in Japan. Odds are he has a ball or a bat in his hand. Yeah. Odds right. are he needs each hero really needs to take up like fly fishing or something yeah, exactly you know? perfect that ted, that's what ted williams would could have, could have been a great mentor
1: there so what's going on with the cubs oh god well you know the season ended far too soon and uh i mean on on the whole they did win a division you know and uh, we were happy about that and that's a good thing that should be celebrated but they have a lot of decisions to make for next year and it's an a really uncertain time, and if there is baseball with no fans, they have a big monthly nut to pay in terms of salary. Yeah, for and, sure. And we're talking about a team that, um, you know, gets well, they, they were saying that Ricketts has said that they get as much as 70 percent of their overall revenue from the Wrigley Field experience based on what fans that's,
0: pro- that's probably true. I mean, because he's, he's not just counting the stadium. He's counting all the houses and hotels on Boardwalk that he put out right, there.
1: Right, right. And he's talking about all the little clubs within the ballpark and all the little places you can go and the, you know, I, I don't know, whatever that, that little park they have on the outside there along Clark Street and the hotel across the street and all it's that- Gallagher thing. Way. Gallagher Way, thank you. And, and then all the rooftops that they own and they own a majority of the rooftops. You know, it, it's just, I mean, you're right. That's a big, big chunk of their revenue that they just don't get to see. And if there's a team that really needs to see asses in the seats, it's the Chicago Cubs. You know, and, and it's the Ricketts,
0: too, who've leveraged quite a bit to get to this point, even though I have a hard time feeling sorry for Ricketts when they say that the losses are biblical, when your wealth is biblical.
1: Your I mean, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I mean, I I find it because once it, once the engine gets started again, I mean, the Cubs will always make the most money. You know, they always will. And, uh, you know, they're squeezing, I mean, they're squeezing every last penny. When games are played, man, they they find ways to to get you in so many ways. I, I really try to avoid spending all that money, you know, and the message that this article and
0: other articles are sell, telling us as Cub fans it, is that when, when Rio Melto uh, comes up for free agency or Bauer comes up for free agency, the Cubs are not going to be players. The Cubs yeah. are not going to be players because that monthly nut is so big. And the reality is in the new uh, economy of baseball, which could make the value of everything go like to 25% of what it is right now, this is there's going to be some tough transition years when players think they're going to get 30 million a year
1: and they're not going to get 13 million
0: that you know, it, happen. It, it, a
1: lot of guys signing a lot of short-term contracts
0: that's and baseball will be okay with that too
1: for yeah. for for the for the financial aspects of that equation but just let me I, have a year just give me through a year and then when everything gets back i'll you know what i mean that's what it's going to be yeah. well you know, the Cubs also have some, you know, have some issues
0: with with their salaries and they have to make some decisions. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed in my opinion about the outlook of the Cubs from last week, which is, I think they need to break up the team, but it appears as though they're going to re-sign Rizzo. Um, uh, from reading this and a couple of other articles, they, it seems like they're leaning towards that. Well, it his option and they should. I mean, he, he deserves it, I think, but then... Yeah, yeah, no, see, I don't. I, I, I would say, yeah, re-sign him at a fraction of the cost if you're yeah. going to do something like that. He's a great defensive player, but he's not getting the job done on the offensive side of the ball. He just isn't. Yeah. And, and no, it's no. been going on for
1: years now. It, it, so I think they need a collective change in the way that they approach hitting. That's what I think. I think well, but Ross did a
0: very good job managing this team. And I believe him when he says privately that we don't have the players to get this thing over the finish line and and they've got to make some changes to that off. They're just not effective enough uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And that's been proven for about three or four seasons now, um, but which, so let me ask you a question. What, which, uh um, which players may have played their last game for the Cubs?
1: Wow. Um, well, I think John Lester has definitely. John Lester won't be. I mean, they may bring him back on a on a on a club friendly deal, but I think he's done with the Cubs. Um, I think. Let's see. That, that's hard to say. Quintana won't be back for sure. Catwood won't be back for sure. You know, talking a lot of pitchers. Now, when you talk about position players, it gets a little, little darker. Um, I think that. As trade ships go, Contreras, I think has the most value. So I think he probably has played his last game as a cub. And I'm really sad to see that. Me um, too. I think I think they're probably open to trading guys like Schwarber. Uh, I don't think they'll trade Schwarber, but it's possible. Um, Hayward will be here. Almora has definitely played his last game as a cub. For he sure. Not be um, you know, I think they're gonna build with hap, they're gonna keep hap because they can control his salary. Hayward will be here. I think they'll sign Baez. And I think maybe Bryant, they'll just allow him to play out this year. And and then he won't resign with them because, because I just don't know how they can continue to give. They're, they're
0: not letting him walk without getting something. They'll trade him before they do that.
1: Well, they'll trade him or they'll make him, you know what I mean? They'll offer him a qualifying offer, which gets them a, a draft pick you know I I just don't see they they won't be able to keep Rizzo Baez and Bryant it it just I don't I don't I don't see it happening here's what I predict
0: I think that Bryant needs to go but I bet you the first year he goes with another team he has a spectacular season that's just the way that works out but but I do think he has to go I just I just don't think it's worth the, the chemistry is just not working here I, something is not right with that offense and I'm telling you Sparky would look at it and go hey it does you don't need to go far, four years doing the same things that you've been doing you've got
1: to make some changes you got do. to yeah they do they have to make changes and and they will and it may be years before they're good again you know and this is just something we have to deal with you know uh it may be a while the White Sox certainly are in a stronger position you know where they have this great offensive lineup and these great young players, or they just need to add some, some arms, you know, some starting pitching and they could be.
0: First of all, you're, you're hundred percent, right. The Sox have a much brighter future, but the Cubs suffer from a really bad malady. And that is that, that all of their their pitchers and their uh, position players are all older. And, and there's not like a lot of youth to build the team around besides Baez and Contreras. and and that but look at the pitching staff these are like veterans now unfortunately these are not young arms and the cubs don't have that great of a farm system i think i think the cubs are looking at some lean years i
1: i i I hate to say it and theo will be gone and theo is gone but and i think what he's going to try to do because this is the last year of his contract he said he's not going to resign He's going to go do something else, and I don't even know if what he's going to do is going to even be related to baseball. But um, yeah, but, I don't, I don't either. What don't. he will do, and what I can trust him to do, is to work as hard as he can to leave the Cubs in as good a situation as possible. So I think he may have a few tricks up his sleeve, a little, some more magic to perform. He may pull off a deal that sets the Cubs up for years to come. So we'll never know, we'll see what so, happens.
0: So wait a minute, let me just stop you right there. Are you sure this is going to be the last year? Because uh, everything that I'm reading is, it, it may not be, they may, uh, there the, are the two things, there could be another outcome here that we're not considering. He, okay. he could go, he could stay, or he could be moved up in through the organization into a different position. He's the president of baseball. I, I know, I know, but I'm saying that that's an option. They've talked about him not really leaving the Cubs, but not being the president of the Cubs. So that's that's an option too. Um, I, let's put it this way: the Ricketts love him, and and, and so that that I learned that. Money, um, you know, right? There's there's all those things, and and it's just what you said. It could be, maybe it's time a change is good for everybody in this marriage, I don't
1: know. What do you make him, G- general manager emeritus? I don't know what you call it. How do you create another position? He's already the highest uh, position within the organization, but- No, I get it, but I think that there's, I just, I just. Um,
0: after reading that one article, I think it was in The Athletic, Yeah. it made me think, you know, maybe there's something else at play, I don't know. Either way, you brought us a world series, you'll never, you know, buy a drink in this town again. Of course, you won't be able to drink in this town because the bars are all closed. That's
1: right. Well, it's just my, my thing is how do you kick a guy upstairs who's already on the top floor, you know? Yeah, but, right, right. Right. Well, you know, remember, you know,
0: our good friend Jim Braybeck, uh, he was an air traffic controller and when you made a mistake as an air traffic controller, you got promoted. <laughs> they would make you like the teacher of the air. They would take you off the floor. But, you know, you would do Definitely. like an administrative job
1: that was technically a promotion. Right, but really they're putting you out to pasture. You know, Basically. Anyway. So, uh, all right, so um, let's get to the popcorn segment. All And I chose the movie and I chose It Like Beckham, the story of a teenager in London of Indian descent. She's from an Indian family and uh, she's uh, she loves soccer. And that's really not a pursuit that's considered acceptable for young Indian girls, uh, even in these 2000s, even in these later times. Yeah. Um, and she plays secretly in the park and, and you know, it's a very, and, and then she's on a team, a real kind of semi-pro team that plays in tournaments. And all the while she's trying to keep it secret from her parents while her sister is getting married, which is a really big deal. And she's also in love with her coach. And uh, I'm gonna begin with your reaction to this movie.
0: So. I never watched this movie when it came out because yeah. when it came out, I was like, you know, this seems too candy ass for me. I, yeah. I just, I just didn't have an interest in it. And my wife watched it. My brother watched it and everybody said, you know, it's a, it's a nice film. I watched it yesterday and I thought it was charming. I thought it was a four star charming film that I wish I would have watched when it first came out. I was completely taken with, um, with the whole thing. I, I thought it was really good. Uh, you know, a slight criticism that it seemed like it was going to end at the end, like four or five times before it actually ended. That's the only, but outside of that, the characters were well developed. I agree with Ebert that um, kind of, um, you before? know, showing the Indian life in, in Great Britain and, and just how rich um, their their culture is their family is the love of of their family they're very close knit their food is phenomenal as we all know um, and and the colors are just so so vibrant I've always been attracted to the in, to the Indian culture um, and we're going to talk a little bit later about uh, something else in that regard but I I just thought that this was a charming film and the lead actress her name is uh, Parminder Nagra was just was fantastic. Yeah,
1: she did a I, great job with the soccer. She looks like a great soccer player.
0: And well, but she, that's because she actually was a very good soccer player. That that was a legitimate thing. But she wasn't as great as, as that that they made it play. But I read an article where they talked about um, that she was she was no slouch.
1: Well, there's a couple of really good scenes. You know, because obviously the young Indian girl is expected to go to college, get married, make babies, do the laundry, learn how to cook. And there's this great scene, you know, because- well, well, Before you say
0: that though, tell our listener, why is the name bended like Beck, uh,
1: Beckham and a relationship to this young girl, right? Well, she, she idolizes the soccer star for England, David Beckham, who played for Manchester United. And was probably if he, the greatest, if not the most popular player who ever played in England. And, uh, you know, very good looking, he married posh Spice of the Spice Girls. And the thing that Beckham could do was distribute the ball. And he was also really good at hooking the ball or bending it. So when he'd make his kicks on goal, he could, he could do on set pieces, you know, like a free kick, he could bend it around the wall and really put it up in the corner. So he's just, you know, and he could curve the ball in from a corner kick into the goal. Right. So he did a lot of great things. and she's a huge fan. And she talks to the poster of David Beckham in her room as she sort of reveals her high school you know, angst. But the right. scene I love is this great camera shot where she's doing the laundry in the backyard, and she's hanging the the pants or whatever, the clothes on the line and she has a goal at the end of the of the of the garden so the camera shot is behind her with the hanging laundry in front of her and she puts the ball on the ground and does a set piece kick and she hooks the ball around the hanging clothing right. into the goal and and the story behind that shot is they set the whole thing up they thought they were going to be there all day and she did it on the first take and that was the one they used you know that was cool. That was a really cool scene. I'm very I'm, this is once again
0: we've had a pretty decent year with our film yeah. selection. I'm, I'm glad that you picked this, but I have to tell you when you first said it last week, I'm like, ah oh, geez, I gotta watch this movie. What the hell? Uh, and I did and I loved it. and I, I'm so glad that I did. It was kind of the way I felt about the commitments too. I, I basically saw it uh, for the first time and I liked it. it it's yeah. the same with this. I actually like this film even more. You
1: know well, and, and, and there's just all sorts of great lines, you know. The because the, uh Juliet Lewis is in it too, or Julia, yeah, and she plays uh her friend Jules. What's the name of that actress? I, I, I'm not oh, uh, Kira Knightley. Uh, Kira Knightley is in it as her friend. Jules. And Kira Knightley is a young girl who kind of has a similar problem with her parents. Her yeah. father's very supportive of her soccer, but her her mother hates that she plays because she thinks that it's going to make her a lesbian, right? And Correct. Some of the best lines of the movie, you yeah. know. She, there's a reason why Sporty Spice is the only one without a boyfriend.
0: Right.
1: Well, she has a classic scene
0: at the end of the towards the end of the movie where she has a meltdown, and I know. and and it's almost like a, a homophobia like you've yeah, never right. seen. Yeah, yeah, no, but it's funny. It's homophobic. Yes, yes. It's it, it is very funny. It's just,
1: you know, she gets your lesbian feet out of my shoe. Yeah, right. Right. That was the then whole. Then she day. realizes that her daughter. Isn't a lesbian, she says. Oh, oh, I've got nothing wrong, no, nothing wrong, I've got nothing against it at all. I love soccer, Martina. I supported Martina Davichalova, right? Right, right. (laughs) So that was really, uh, you know, it's a wonderful movie. Lorena knows what she's doing. I mean, if you look at her other movies, like What's Cooking, yes, which is a take on the American holiday of Thanksgiving, correct bride and uh bride and prejudice is a wonderful film and she's just really strong in her skills
0: but you know what she's really strong at is character development her, right. her characters are pretty well um well developed she doesn't really um have one-dimensional characterizations in, in the story certainly not here um and you know, there's a certain griminess to this film too. I, I thought it was gonna be completely different. I thought it would be, you know, like a bag of rainbows and stuff like that, but but it's not like that at all. It's so, it's more yeah. like real life.
1: Real problems. It's real, like, real problem. like when when her friend, her boy, her boyfriend reveals to her that she's gay and he's Indian, you know, and, and that's the line. So, you know, they're talking about Beckham and he says, you know, I really like Beckham. Right, right. It's like you're gay, but you're Indian, you know. Right. Be, and,
0: and she was like, You can't be gay because that is not accepted in our culture, and that it speaks volumes about, you know, um, uh, how she her character kind of is kind of oppressed growing up, even true. though she loves her family. It's she wants to play soccer, they want her to be, you know, they learn how to make soccer. a good Indian meal and marry a good Indian boy. That's what they want,
1: yeah. And, and But the thing is, and that is what's interesting, because she still, in spite of the fact that her parents don't want her to play or don't want her to do this thing she loves more than anything, she still cares about her family. Yes. She still wants to respect her father, you know, and, and when her father finally, you know, at the wedding, at her sister's wedding, the father says, go play in the championship because I mm-hmm. want to make my daughter happy. And that's the most important right. thing. I mean, that was a really touching little moment
0: yeah it was and, and she got dressed the whole team after she scores the winning goal spectacularly by the way they yeah. help her get dressed to go back to the wedding so she wouldn't have to face the ire of her mother
1: right uh, right right no it, it's it, uh, it's one of my f- and you know what else is good about that movie the soundtrack that's yeah. one of two movie soundtracks I actually went out and bought <laughs> it's a ch- it's a charming film a charming film well see bend it like Beckham see it if you, you see it as soon as you can if you haven't seen it by now. So do you have a movie for us? For- I, I I do.
0: And remember, I told you when I was first started talking about the movie that I would be talking about the Indian culture later on. And so when I saw this film, it reminded me of the greatest Indian movie I've ever seen. And one of my favorite films of, of all time. It's yes. the 1955 Pather Panchali is the name. I'll send you the link to where to see it. It's the first of the Apu trilogy. And it's just an extraordinary film. You are in Bollywood movie. It it it's an Indian film that they made for thirty thousand dollars that made a hundred
1: million worldwide. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So that's it. That'll be interesting. Boy, that's uh, I'm kind of looking forward to that because I don't know. There's not a lot. I mean, I I've touched sort of the outside of Indian cinema and Bollywood. I told you I brought a well-rounded approach to cinema. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to this one. You've you've really, I'll tell you, you have hit on some amazing films this year. You know, The Third Man was a great movie. Uh, Hollywood Boulevard was tremendous. I've really enjoyed some of your selections. I've enjoyed yours too, by and large. By and large, I've enjoyed yours too. So, all right. Well, if if you're, if I'm hitting, you know, 750, you're hitting 830. At least, but. uh... (laughs) All right. All right, so until next week, we are the Two Peas in a Podcast. I'll bang the drums slowly and play the five low. Play the dead march as they carry me along. Put bunches of roses all over
0: my coffin. Roses to deaden
1: the clouds as they fall.